morning, uh, First Baptist. We would uh, welcome you to worship today. The first words are going to be out of our mouth is this. We've waited for this day. I pray that that is your sentiment. Lord, we've waited to worship you in spirit and in truth in this body together this morning. I, I pray that that's the spirit that God's put in you today. Let's sing it together.
together in prayer. Lord God, we just come before you and we would just want to extend this, um, this prayer that we've started through song. Lord, show us your glory. Show us your power today. And you always do. It was, as we open the holy word of God, you always show us your glory and show us your power. And we just give you praise for that. Lord, empower us to sing your praises today, we ask. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you're being seated, uh, just a reminder, this little blue card you find in your pew back is a connection card, and so we would love uh, first and second time guests especially uh, to fill those out so that we can uh, know how to minister to you. Maybe you have some questions you want to ask us, and and we'd be happy to to, uh, uh, answer those questions. By the way, uh, we have a great staffed uh, connection center out there now uh, since we've done the, the, um, the lobby remodel. And so please take advantage of that if you have any questions. And then after starting today, uh, after the, each service, there'll be a pastor or staff member will be out there to answer any questions. Uh, so if you can't, you know, maybe reach the pastor if he's busy in the hallway, you can reach another pastor or staff member, and we'd be happy to help you. Immediately after service, you can find somebody at the Connection Center to answer those questions, okay? Also, prayer request cards, please, uh, if you have a prayer request, fill those out and put those in the offering plate, and we'll be sure to pray for those. All right. Hey, let's uh, continue to just have a, a great time of, uh, of worship today. Just this morning as we were we were practicing uh, this next title just just hit me this is amazing grace it, it wasn't there a book written no wonder they call it amazing or something like that i forgot what it was but but it, it truly is we we can't let this get lost on us we can't let this get lost we're just not, we're not going through the motions today people right we are singing about amazing grace that is life transforming let's worship Oh, okay. 
The next song we're going to sing is just a, a great, uh, not that old, really, hymn. But it's about a 50-year-old hymn. Um, so if you were in a, in, a, in a pinch and you just had to share the story of the song Amazing Grace, you could probably get through some of it, right? A slave ship captain and John Newton, and you could get some through some of it. Uh, if you had to share the story of uh, It Is Well With My Soul, you would probably remember something about Horatio Spafford and losing businesses and losing family and yet still having the wherewithal and the trust in God to say, it is well with my soul. Um, this hymn story is not like that. This hymn story comes from uh, Pastor Thomas McLean in 1973, Thomas uh, Jackson from McLean, uh, Virginia in 1973. He was expressing to a, a church member, I, I'm just frustrated that there's not a hymn that properly tells us that God takes persons and makes him a part of his church. And uh, the friend said, well, you ought to meet that need. You ought to do it. And he did. So I guess what I'm saying is God works in the miraculous, amen? But he also works in just what needs to be done. And so much of life is just what needs to be done. And Ephesians 6, so, so stand. Not, not charge, not charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. Stand. Right? So, so be faithful in the, in the simple. Be faithful in the simple. And I think we can learn that from this, uh, from this next hymn. 
out for our offering prayer. Lord God, as we, uh, the ushers come and receive today's offering, Lord, may we be found faithful. And, uh, and, and uh, is it a miraculous thing to, to give? Uh, no, not necessarily. It's, it's a simple daily thing. But Lord, it's in the daily uh, that you give blessing to those who serve you. Uh, it's not those of us, uh, those who, not of us, uh, who have movies and books written about their great life, but it's about the millions of others who just faithfully serve you each and every day. And we thank you for so many of those here in our midst. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey. 
before the pastor comes and shares with us the word of truth, the, the belt of truth, uh, let's speak about that perfect truth, that unchangeable truth, and let's start by uh, reciting Psalm 33-4 together. For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does.
Lord God, may it be so. Amen. Thank you for the violin. Blessing to hear that. <clears throat> Psalm 150 gives us a list of instruments to praise the Lord with, and they're comprehensive. It's all of them, right? Uh, to praise the Lord. As humans, we have trouble standing up if we don't have strength in our core. Uh, Paul and Mason and Chad, they know a little bit about core. And some of you athletes in the church, or if you've been tortured by Chad or others, um, or Paul, they will encourage you to do core exercises to strengthen you. Because without a strong core, you can't stand up straight. You'll be bent over. And most of you know if you've had a back injury in the lumbar region or if you've had a growing injury, that's, that's tough. I mean, you, you just can't bounce back from that like other things. But the fact of the matter is, the first necessary thing in standing against evil in our day, according to this text, is to have our loins girded with truth. Let's go ahead and think about this up front, front as the readiness to the battle. If we're not strengthened in our core with truth, we cannot stand. There's no way to stand firm without being strengthened in your core. And we're, we're speaking of that in the spiritual understanding as the primary focus. So in verse 14, the phrase, stand therefore is a culmination of all that Paul has already said in verses 10 through 13. Context is king. Context is important. And notice the scripture. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, so he is building on what's given in 10 through 13. And when you get to verse 14, he says, Stand therefore. And it connects, the connections are tightly woven together with 10 through 13. In fact, the connections are going to be tightly woven together 10 through 20, right? Verses 10 through 20. So Paul is drawing out how 10 through 13 begins to work itself out. So he says, verse 14, uh, verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14 for today, right? Listen, stand therefore. Three times he's emphasized this stand Therefore, when you get to that verb, stand firm, it is the major verb in the section. As a matter of fact, that phrase is the key phrase in the entire section from 10, verse 10 down through verse 20. So therefore, stand firm. I know I give you verb tenses at times, but there's a reason for it. It's a second person plural imperative. It is the chief admonition in the entire paragraph. And all of the following infinitives and participles 
uh, and one other imperative are all tied and depend on that verb. I can't stress that enough for you. It's so important. It all ties to stand firm. So, this is a command to all the people of God. Second person plural. Not just the preacher. Not just the Sunday school teachers. uh, Not just the elders and the deacons. This is a command for all of the people of God. The goal of putting on the armor and being strong in the Lord is so that you can stand. We studied Paul's use of the term put on and put off. Do you all remember that? And actually put on the armor, put on this, put on that, put on loving kindness. There are many scriptures in the Bible that Paul will use put on and that becomes kind of a way of him to describe what the Christian life is. How many of you will agree that it is putting off, right, and putting on? It's putting off the characteristics of the old man that had been crucified with the Lord, and it's putting on the new man in Christ. Well, stand is very similar. Paul will use the term stand or stand firm or stand therefore, and he uses that as a metaphor of the Christian life. Let me show you a couple of these. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 3, verse 8, Paul will use it. The Bible says, For now we live, for now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. Just over a couple of pages, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, listen to how Paul uses it. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And 1 Corinthians 16 is my favorite one. We all have favorite verses, right? Among the stand firm verses, this is my favorite. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. That's a good one, right? Be Strong. Hear it again. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. So you can see that Paul is giving us once again this reminder uh, in verb form, action form, of what is going to drive the entire text, and that is for us to stand firm. We all need to stand firm and resist. We all need to, right? William Garnall was born in 1616. He wrote a book called The Christian in Complete Armor. David mentioned Amazing Grace, which the song was written by John Newton. John Newton said of William Grinnell's book, The Christian in Complete Armor, he said, if I might read any one book other than the Bible, it would be this one. That's pretty heavy. So Jeffrey went to... uh, I wanted to say Lifeway, but it doesn't exist in block and mortar anymore. But he went over to a bookstore looking for that particular book and didn't find it. But I wanted a copy of it 
but I had an excerpt from it that I'm going to read. But John Newton and other Puritans called that book the greatest of all practical Puritan writings. That's pretty heavy, okay? So it's called uh, the, Christian, the Christian in Complete Armor. Here's what he says. To stand is opposed to a cowardly flight or a treacherous yielding to the enemy. That's how important it is to stand. And then Andrew Lincoln says, To stand is to occupy steadfastly the position which is ours through our experience of the gospel and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the purpose of being strong in the Lord and the purpose of putting on the armor is to be able to stand and to stand firm. And to not buckle, not yield, or give ground to the devil or his emissaries that we learned about last week. See it? I thought rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces. The reason we stand is so that we don't yield, we don't back up, we don't topple over. We stand firm. And here's the deal, folks. God has supplied you in Christ Jesus everything you need to stand. Everything you need to stand you have in Christ Jesus the Lord. Thus the armor of God. You have everything you need to stand. So this is actually the third point of our large uh, focal outline. Number, Roman numeral number one, be strong with the Lord. We preached on that. Number two, put on the full armor of God. Why? The devil is scheming against us. And we listed those things out. There's two more of those. And thirdly, stand firm by employing the full armor of God. Okay? And then what do you do? How do you stand firm? And what do you employ first? Say it. You do so by putting on the belt of truth. Let me give you a couple of preliminary things to think about in this third division. Stand firm by employing the full armor of God. First, there is an order to this armor. Would you all agree? If you read through it, and I hope you've been reading every day, at least three times a day, this text. Okay? So... There is, a, there is order to it. The armor is rooted and grounded, yes, in the Old Testament revelation of our Messiah, Yahweh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is grounded in that, okay? But as he goes through it systematically, there is a method to the order. Girding your loins would have been the very first thing a soldier would have done to prepare for battle. That's an observation. There's order to the armor or weaponry. That's a preliminary observation. Second, regarding the armor that is given to us, it's all in participial form. Why is that important? Well, the participles are clear if you have the NAS. What is that? New American Standard. Okay? Having girded, having put on, having shod, right? The feet of gospel of peace, and taking up. So each phrase will relate to which verb? Stand firm. And here's what scholars will tell you about the grammar. They'll tell you that you are to stand firm by girding your loins with truth. Okay? Notice the connection. How do you stand? By putting on the belt of truth. By doing this. By doing this. This other thing. By taking up the shield of faith. Each phrase borrows the, for, the force of the imperative to stand. And that's important. Okay? Why am I telling you that? Because it's not optional. If it carries the force of an imperative verb, stand firm, 
and the participles carry that on, then it's saying to you this is not an option. This is not a suggestion. You can't stand firm without putting, without putting on the belt of truth. By putting on the belt of truth, you are able to stand. I hope you understand the connection. It's so important. The armor is not presented as optional. It's presented as necessary if you're going to be able to don the armor of God. So are you ready for the first piece? Y'all been ready, haven't you? Took a long time to get to this. All right, here it is. How are you going to do it? How do you stand? By putting on the belt of truth. Again, grammar is important. How is it worded? It's something that you actually have the responsibility to do. It's God's truth, and you're in Christ, but you have to put it on. It's something that you do by putting on the belt of truth. Now, having girded is not some kind of vernacular that we use too often, right? How many of you kids have gone up to your buddies and said, Hey, have you girded up today? (laughs) Now, you folks in Missouri are weird. Y'all have strange vernacular, but I'm from the South, right? And if you want to talk about strange vernacular, just talk to my mother-in-law, all right? Yeah, we have that, okay? But this is something that is strange wherever you are. Gird up the loins, right? Gird up the loins by, with truth. What does it mean? Well, the ESV says, having fastened on the belt of truth, right? The NIV says the belt of truth being buckled around your waist. The NLT, the New Living Translation, I always say this, not the Living Bible, right? The New Living Translation says, I love this, stand your ground, putting on the sturdy belt of truth. The ones who translated the NLT have biblical understanding of Greek and Hebrew. That's why it has the thought-for-thought translation of everything I've been trying to explain to you. Stand your ground, putting on the sturdy belt of truth. So in Paul's day, for a soldier to gird their loins was to put on a belt. I've got a belt on. Y'all see it? Something similar. But in my day, It always, you know, my belt serves some other purposes too. When that thing rattles out of my belt loops. Or my dad, when it came out, you know, hide, right? Well, I know it keeps your pants up, men. As your belly grows, it's more of a necessity, right? For me lately, since I had gotten bit by a tick a few whatever time ago, I can't eat meat for a certain amount of time. And some of the ladies in our church know what that's about. I can eat fish. I can eat turkey. And I can eat chicken. And what I've decided about this belt right here that is way more than what you think it is. It's now become a fence for a chicken graveyard. All right? <laughs> it holds all this chicken in that I'm eating because I can't eat steak and beef. But anyway, it has the purposes, right? A belt serves a purpose. But you don't need to think about one single strap. You need to think about a thicker girdle. Okay? A thicker girdle. It had an apron in the front that that would extend down to the middle of the thighs to protect the thighs. So this was the first piece of weaponry underneath the armor. So it encompassed the waist and the lumbar region. The idea of putting it on 
ultimately was to be prepared for action. You would wrap the girdle around you. And remember that during those days there was a long flowing tunic. And you would tuck all of it inside of that belt. And then you would cinch it tight. And the result of girding your loins, would, you would be more prepared for movement. It's to fasten clothing securely around your waist, which would make rapid movement easier. And it would help you with vital preparation for a vigorous activity. So it provided support, braced you for action. We use those cliches today, don't we? Tighten up your belts. It's time to go on a ride. Buckle up. We are gathering the strength of our lower lumbar region, which is the center of strength called the core. Jesus will use this very metaphor. Having girded your loins, be ready. Peter will say, gird up the loins of your mind. Tie up the loose ends of your mind with truth. So the belt would also serve other critical functions. And if you've studied this, you know what they are. It's the central piece. It goes on first. It's critical because it held the sword in its place. It also served as critical to attach the breastplate to. It was a sign of being ready, brace for action, support, and strength. But also, it held up the sword. And it held up, it held the breastplate firm in its position. So biblically, the concept of loins was the center of your physical strength. Right? So in modern exercise language, like we began the sermon, it would be the core where the center of your strength is. If you're strong at your core, in your lower lumbar region, in your pelvic region, then you're strong. You can hurt your back in exerting yourself in some kind of chore if you have weak stomach muscles. Right? Now, you exercise guys know more about that than I do, but this is the reality. So, the idea of the center of your strength is your loins. loins. In the Bible, it is used everywhere. Nahum chapter 2 verse 1 says, strengthen your back. Psalm 18 says, God has girded David with truth. Psalm 20, uh, 69 talks about a weak person where their loins shake continually. You know of the weakness when you have a lower back injury or a sports hernia. You can't do hardly anything. Why? It's because that is the center of your strength. You can't hardly stand or run. So gird the deep center of your core with the truth. Now, let's ask a question. What does Paul mean when he says truth? Gird up your loins with truth. The first idea is sincerity of heart and mind and the removal of guile and hypocrisy. How do we know that? Or how can that be the case? Or how is it suggested that that's what it's speaking of? Over in Psalm 51 verse 6, here's what David would say. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom... In the secret heart. So I think it's safe to say that there is certainly an allusion here to sincerity of heart and mind and the removal of guile and hypocrisy. Second suggestion would be that the truth here is the objective truth of the Word of God. 
Gird your loins with the objective truth of God's holy word. So the ones who like the first suggestion would point that later the scripture will say, pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? So they think to say, gird your loins with truth would seem to be a redundancy. Do you see the argument? I would differ with that and tell you that a sword and a belt do not serve the same function, right? So you can't just dismiss it that this is concerning the objective truth of God's word because of that. A sword has a different function than a belt. They don't serve the same purpose. So those for the truth of God's word point out that in Ephesians, every time Paul uses the word truth, he uses it in connection with the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. The third view, and this is my view, so it's the right view. Are you ready? Not necessarily. But here's what I think. I think it is God's objective truth that has been personally applied in such a way that it strengthens the inner man with such qualities as an integrity, sincerity, conviction, and righteousness. The truth of God's word must be so assimilated into your life that it is the truth that girds your loins. It is the word of God. It is not just objective truth that stands out there somewhere, out from us. It is actually truth that comes into our lives. It's got to be something that's deep in you if the scripture says, gird your loins with it. You can't get any deeper inside of you than your loins. All right? So we are convinced of it. That means we're convinced with the objective truth of God's word, and we're convicted by it. It produces consistency in our life, faithfulness and righteousness. Now, how can we be prepared to withstand the assaults of the enemies of darkness if our minds are filled with our own theories and our own speculations? You won't last if it's your own speculations and your own theories. Nothing but the truth of our God clearly understood and warmly embraced will enable us to keep our feet at that moment when the enemy is attacking. Folks, reason and speculation are nothing but spider webs to the enemy. The enemy will run right through those defenses like a spider web if it's reason and speculation. This that we're speaking of is the knowledge of the truth that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ and is recorded in this book from Genesis to Revelation. No amens. Do you believe this book to be the word of God or is this just reason and speculation? Folks, if you don't believe this is the word of God, then there's no way you're going to stand. We, we have no basis to stand against the enemy if we don't take this as... The revealed truth of the word of God is doctrines are holy, precepts are binding, historics are true, decisions are changeless. The holy men of God were moved in such a way, superintended by the Holy Spirit, that they wrote exactly what God asked them to write. That's what we believe about this particular book. It is the truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. We have to believe this. So, it's not only mastery of the truth in us. But it's also allowing the truth to master us. Are y'all listening to that? It's not just the mastery of the word. Meaning, man, you're a student of the word. You can spit the verses out. 
But have you let the Word of God master you? Okay? We're held by truth. The truth of God binds us and holds us together. It puts us on our feet. It gives us strength. Right? It gets a hold of us. It governs our attitude toward the world, the flesh, and the devil. We gird ourselves with truth. It begins to form our worldview. You wonder why there's so many different ideologies in this world? Because if they're not based upon the Word of God, it's a wrong ideology. Right? That's what we're seeing in our world. I mentioned that every piece of this armor was worn by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that's the key. Paul was not... He was not bound to a Roman soldier and looked over and said, Wow, neat armor. That looks like shoes, feet shod with the preparation. I know for years in Baptist life this is what we've gotten. But that's not right. That's not right. It is the the armor that Christ himself wore for us. So look with me to Isaiah. And let's look at one of the amazing texts of Scripture that speaks of this to us. And they're all over Isaiah, but here's the one regarding the belt of truth. Isaiah 11:5. Listen to the word of God. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Listen. And faithfulness and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Does that sound familiar to our text? One more time. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, truth, the belt of his Loins. So the Messiah wears the belt of righteousness and faithfulness. So when Paul tells us to gird our loins with truth, he's telling you to wear the armor that Christ wore. When David boasts that he will go out and he will fight Goliath, what do they do? They take, you know, you kids know this story, right? Yeah. What, what happens? Well, they usher him in before Saul. And what does Saul say? Well, I don't know what kind of thoughts he had really deep down, but fact of the matter is, who's this little bitty guy, chosen last, he's a shepherd boy, and Saul says, well, here's my armor. What happens? It doesn't fit. It's, it, that's not the weaponry the Lord told him to fight with anyway. The Lord said, I'll win this battle, you just do what I tell you to do. But in reality, here's what I want you to think about. With Goliath, with, with David before Goliath, he could not wear Saul's armor because it did not fit. But here's what we know about the armor of the Lord Jesus Christ. It always fits us. The truth of the word of God. You don't have to stop and say, hey, will this armor fit me? You don't have to think one moment about it. It is the truth of the word of God. It is the belt of truth. It's not an option. It is a necessity that you put. How do you do it? By putting on the belt of truth. So the Lord Jesus Christ has fit us with the armor that we are to wear. And when we put on the belt of truth, we are displaying his truth and his power, right, in our lives. He has fit us with the very belt of truth. And so in order to be ready and fully prepared and strong in the Lord and to stand firm, we need to put the armor on. And it begins with fastening on the belt of truth. Why? Because the days are evil. Because there can be situational evil days against you. John will write... In his first epistle, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do you see how they overcome? How is it possible? What have they done? The word of God abides in you. So this is the imagery Paul wants us to capture. 
This is what Paul wants us to have in our minds. The Word of God must be the core of our convictions. It must be at the core of our conduct. Not only latched on to us, but it also has latched in to us. Right? It's both. We seek to master what the Word says, but seek to let the, mas- the, the Word master us. The Word must be our innermost being in our innermost being if we are to stand. The Word of Christ is the center of our strength. Now, have you ever wondered how people can make a profession of faith? They, I mean, three or four months ago, let's say, someone walks the aisle, they say they trust Christ, they made a profession, they had a conversion experience, and then about three months later we say, where are the convictions? Where are the convictions that this individual professed through baptismal waters, right? They gave testimony to us that they have been redeemed and regenerated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we look, and where is their commitment to truth? Have you ever wondered that? This means yes, this means no. Some of you are asleep. Yes, we all should wonder about this. When he says, gird the loins of your mind with truth, folks, this is not an optional thing. The truth of God's word must be the solid foundation that is at the core of the strength of your life. If this is not true of you and me, then your commitments will change and your convictions will change. Folks, I'm hitting the nail squarely on the head of what's going on in church life when people come in, make a profession. We play just as I am, they come just as they are, and they leave just as they were. They never have commitments and they never have conviction. Why? Because they were not saved by love of the truth. And that's what Paul says must take place. Right? So, the truth of God's word must be the solid foundation. Why aren't they standing anymore? Are questions that we should ask. It's not simply that their knees are buckling because it's difficult. We all know what that means. But we actually see people who go against their commitments and their convictions and go forth right out and start following the enemy. Why are they holding to the why are they not holding to the things that they would have never why are they today holding to things that they would have never held to 2 years ago? What's happened, right? Why are they rejecting things that they said they once loved? I saw them lift their hands in worship. I saw and heard them answer questions in Bible study. I saw them serve. I have been on foreign mission trips with people multiple times that no longer frequent the church at all. And you wonder, where are the convictions? Where are the commitments? Why aren't they standing anymore? Is that not relevant to this text? Stand firm. Here's a question for you. Am I sincere in this warfare? Are we? Do I have convictions about this fight? This text begs these questions to us. Am I standing? Am I sincere about the warfare? Do I even know that a warfare is actually taking place at this very moment? Do I have convictions about this fight? Is there present God's truth in my core that compels me to say, I'm a soldier of the cross? Is there something in you? Am I a follower of Christ? The enemy attacks, his attacks demand that we wear the belt of truth at all times. It demands this. 
Do you think the enemy is concerned about what you believe? Yes, he is. Do you think the enemy desires for you to reject the truth of God's word? You better believe it. So, is he concerned about whether you believe it? Yes. Is God really sovereign? He wants you to think he's not. He wants you to think that God is not sovereign over your afflictions. But I've got news for you. He is. He is God. He is sovereign. He wants you to question, is God really good in your darkest uh, hour of the frowning providence of God upon your life? Is God good? And Job would tell you, you better believe he's good. Right? So, he wants to undermine the foundation of who you are in Christ. So in the midst of that attack, he wants you to question whether you are really in the Lord's army. A lot of Christians deal with this. Right? Why fight? Why? I, I'm better off just to yield. I'm, I'm better off just to forget about the war. So that there are other things that I could strive for and go after in this world. Why am I concerned about a war that I can't even see? Right? It's cosmic. It's in the heavenly places. I guess I'll just continue to act like a soldier around this church. But away from here, I'll serve as a double agent. And I'll just fulfill my own desires. Live for the world. Indulge my flesh. I'll never go publicly against the enemy. I won't stand. Well, what do you know, soldier, all of us, about your commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ? you got to know something about him if you're going to stand. You have to know the truth of God's word if you're going to stand. Do you enlist on your own in salvation? If you did, then you work to get it. You didn't enlist yourself into this battle. God enlisted you. God is the one who enlisted you. You need to know something about the commander-in-chief who reached down and picked you out of a horrible pit and saved you and regenerated your heart and brought about faith and obedience so that you could respond positively because you were dead in trespasses and sins and God made you alive. We need to know who the commander is. Our commander is God. He is in absolute control. He's God, right? He's not applying for the job. He really is. And that's what the scripture teaches us. So, what's your view of how you were brought into this kingdom? How did you get into the army of God? The Bible tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what the Bible says. It's grace, and that's why you're saved. So a soldier that is filled with uncertainty is not a soldier at all. I mean, one part of being a soldier is listen to your commander, right? Do you only weld the sword when others are looking? Do you lack loyalty to your commander and are, or are you hypocritical in your loyalty? In the in military, that'd be called a traitor. Y'all getting this? Sure. Those are called traitors. If girding our loins with truth is so important to stand, then we need to ask the question this morning, how do we do it? Golly. <laughs> does your belt, does your wardrobe have the belt of truth? Please understand that there is more to girding your loins with truth than just reading your Bible. Okay? The imagery in this passage Paul is presenting is that you're convinced with conviction that will result in consistent 
conduct in life. Those things are so vitally important. Convinced with conviction that results in consistent conduct. It's possible to read the Word of God every day and never gird it on as a belt of truth for your life. So often we read the Word of God to check off the marks. Pastor, I'm reading through the Bible in one year. That's a good thing. But then we never gird ourselves with the truth that we're reading. Okay? You can even have sections memorized and not gird yourself with truth. To gird yourself with truth, you have to come to the place where you reject any and all emotional limitations that you yourself have placed on the Word of God. Boy, that's not popular thinking in the U.S., is it? If the word is really wrapped around the center of your core, then you also have to reject intellectual autonomy. So when you come to the word of God, God, I reject my emotional limitations. Because there's going to be some things that I see in the word of God that I don't think emotionally set too well with me. But it's his word. It's God's word. There's going to be things you read in there. You say, well, with my intellectual prowess and my autonomy... I can't quite mesh human responsibility with what this text says. So I'm just going to forget about that. This means that you have to submit your whole intellect to the authority of the Word of God. This means that you have to reject emotional limitations that we place on the Word of God. When you dismiss the clear Word of God, then it ends up being an enemy of you girding girding yourself with the truth of God's Word. When you put limitations on it emotionally, when you intellectually with your autonomy think that you can override what the Word of God says, then how in the world is that going to be a belt of truth? It can't be. When you begin to force your intellectual autonomy on the Word of God, you begin to determine on the basis of what you think what the Bible actually means instead of what the Bible actually says and means. And then we couple that with emotional limitations. We begin to qualify what the Bible can mean right if truth is to reign in your innermost being wrapped around your being then you need to say I'm no judge over this book at all it's a judge over me this is the written word of God I don't sit over this book with limited with my limited understanding and I don't sit over this book with how I feel I submit myself totally to the authority of God's word I ask you early on if you believed it How do you feel about the Word of God? If it says something that's hard to me, for me to emotionally accept, what do we do with it? We accept it anyway. It's God's Word. When we limit the Word of God by intellectual autonomy or emotional limitations, then we have girded girded ourselves with our own ideas about the truth instead of the truth. We must be girded with the belt of truth. There is no strength. In girding your loins with your own ideas about truth. We all wrestle with big time things in the word of God. And the bottom line is, will I submit my intellectual and emotional perspective to divine revelation? This happens all the time with kids, doesn't it? It happens with adults. I feel like this is what I ought to do. I wake up in the morning. I want to get rid of this lug that I'm married to. I'm just going to walk out. Why? Because I feel like it. And so we began to emotionally put on the word of God and intellectually our own autonomy and say, well, surely it doesn't mean that. Or if it does mean that, God, do y'all understand that God is bound to his truth? 
You understand that this is the word of God. God is bound to his truth. And across the entire landscape of evangelicalism, here's something. God never does anything contrary to his word. Never. He never acts contrary to this revealed book. And you say, well, I don't believe that, preacher. Well, I'm going to preach that until I die. I'm going to preach that at this church until I die. And that is that God is bound to his written word. This is what the scripture says. This is how we believe the word of God. This is in our confession as Baptists. But it ought to be in your confessions as a Christian. That you believe the word of God. So, uh, let me move on. Because I don't have much time. We're also called to embrace it cordially. Not only do we, we don't want to put our limitations on it. We don't want to put our own intellectual spin on it. But second to that, if you're going to be able to stand, then you've got to cordially welcome the truth into your life. Does that make sense? Paul says that there are those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. That's found in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Do you understand that being a child of God, even coming to faith and, and being a child of God, there's something in there about love of truth. In other words, you can't say that I've been born again and not have a desire to know and love the truth of God's word. Do you understand how strong that is? Paul says that there are those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Y'all hear how rich that is. It is putting together salvation with truth. It is putting together belief with truth. So the only way something can be deep inside of you, the only way something can internally, experientially bring about conviction is to love it in the core of your being. Is to love the truth. If we're to be girded with truth, we cannot be the ones who sit over the word to judge it. We take posture at this church. And the posture is this. It's life together under the word. Over there in the commons, it's on the wall. And you may think, that's a neat saying. There's way more to that saying from your pastor than just being a neat saying. We are living life under the word. Let God's truth grip you at the source of your strength. Labor to have a real love for the truth. And I'm not talking about a passive interest. Many people have a passing interest on the word of God. Just let the oil dry up in an Arab country. And everybody's like... Preacher, uh, you believe in eschatology. Jesus is coming back soon. That the oil's drying up in, Arab, in, in, in an Arab country, right? Everybody begins to be talking about the second coming, and they jump on these hobby horses. I'm not talking about that kind of interest. I'm talking about being interested in your life being conformed to the image of Christ. You're living the Word of God. You, back, uh, I don't know what year it was, I was in seminary, and Saddam Hussein was loose. In the world. Everybody was like, is Saddam Hussein the Antichrist? I could have told you up front. He wasn't. He was too stupid. Right? <laughs> There's no way around it. Look, look at the scripture of what it says. Did he end up being the Antichrist? No, he's not. So, that's a passive interest. You know, there are some very vital things that we talk about in this church that are important. Creation versus evolution. Right? Is that important? You better believe it. Right? However, if that's your hobby horse and you don't ever move past that to the love of the truth in every area of life, then that's just a hobby horse for you. You haven't moved past it. How about homosexual marriages? Is God against homosexuality? You better believe it. It's a perversion of human nature. God made them male and female. Yet, if that becomes your hobby horse 
And that's all you deal with. And your life never is changed by the truth. Guess what? That's a carnal desire. That's not God changing you by his word. What if it's as much as we hate abortion around here? That becomes a hobby horse for some people. Yet they're not loving the truth. And they're not being conformed to the image of Christ. Six-day creation versus old earth. I'm a six-day literalist. I believe God could have created it in one day, in one second, if he wanted to. However, we get on these hobby horses, and we're butting heads over age-day theory versus uh, six-day literal creation, and it becomes a hobby horse. How about this one? When I was growing up, it was rock music and their evils. And you had everybody and their brother over here in this corner. Man, you listen to that rock music, you're going straight to hell. Right? And then people argue, argue, argue about music, right? Okay, you understand what I'm saying. We need to be interested about justification by faith. We need to be interested about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit conforming us to the image of Christ. We need to be concerned about the grace of God in salvation, of faith and repentance and other things that constitute the teachings of Christ that are clearly given to us in the Bible. All right, one more. You ready? Third, I'm skipping things. Labor to have the rod of truth shoved down your backbone. I didn't, know, I didn't have a fancy way to say that. All right? Emotionalism and intellectual prowess will destroy you when it comes to the Bible. If you think that you can judge over it and not listen to what the Word says. Got it? Secondly, you got to love the Word. Thirdly, it has to go down your backbone like a steel rod. You have to stand on what the word of God actually says. Let, kids, let the word of God, youth, let the word of God so grip you that it is driven down your spine like a steel rod and you will not be moved. And I know there's all kind of things out there that you're thinking about. As one of my preacher friends said to me, you boys have a steering wheel and you don't know how to handle it. Right? You don't. There's all kind of things going on in your mind and in your life. But I'm telling you, folks, here's one that you can stand on. Allow the Word of God to be like a steel rod driven down your spine and believe it and stand on the Word. Amen? You're bombarded with all kinds of things today. But allow the Word of God to do that. Don't cut corners. Don't pare the corners. I promised y'all when I came to this church, I wouldn't pare corners. I would preach what the Word of God says. I would not make excuses. I would not apologize for preaching what the Word says. There are enough preachers around for you to go to and hear that pare the corners and don't preach what the Word of God says. Young people, don't pare the corners. Believe what the Word of God says. Don't move away from it. It's dangerous when you pare the corners of the truth of God's Word. So... In our day, it's like this. You're not a humble person if you're confident in the Word. That's baloney. You're not humble if you're confident in the Word. Absolutely. I think Jesus was very competent in the, world, in the Word, but yet he was humble. And we can be the same way. Don't go out, young people, and be cantankerous and contentious about the truth. But you should have it driven down your spine like a steel rod so that you stand on what the Word of God says. Cherish it. Obey it. Final illustration. Is a compromised conscience also something that weakens our core? <sighs> How many times do we do this? When we see the revealed truth of God's word, 
We know in our conscience that we're convicted and we're bothered. We know it's not the right thing to do. And we just go headlong into it. Can I give you Exhibit A? Does anybody know Exhibit A in the Bible? I talked about him earlier. David. Talk about a man who had such a sensitive conscience. That even to go secretly and cut off the hem of Saul's garment. Ate at his conscience. And he had to confess it. Why? Because God, I've lifted my hand up against your anointed. Am I the only one that knows that story? Do y'all know that story? That he clipped off the hem of his garment. Yet in his conscience, he knew that he had touched God's anointed. And he begged God for forgiveness. Fast forward to a few years later and he's out on the roof. And he's fantasizing over a woman who is bathing. And he lusts after her and he invites her to his chambers. He's so weakened in his core and he's compromised in his conscience that he sleeps with another man's wife. And then he has a loyal servant move to the front lines and have him murdered. I'm telling you folks, that's what conscience can do to you if it's not rooted in the word of God. That's what happens when your conscience is not lined up with the supremacy of God and his truth. So look to Christ continually. Don't compromise. If you are to have the belt of truth of the word of God fastened around you, then we need to prayerfully and joyfully and seriously and submissively fall under God's holy word. I know this is true in our church. I know it's true for my life. We could hear testimonies today of people concerning what has happened in the interior of your life and what has spilled out into the exterior of your life because you've neglected God's word and you've become weak at the core. Anybody want to testify? I think all of us could say this, couldn't we? We could have testimony after testimony of people who were not prepared because they were not in the Word. Not just not in the Word, but not holding tightly to it. So I can't believe the testimony would be I went down this path. I can't believe I made this decision. In order to gird your loins with truth, we need to submit to it and joyfully embrace it. Folks, here's the deal. Truth matters. God's Word matters matters. We need to stand. I get it. Look, doesn't matter who you are. Preacher, church member, doesn't matter. I want to remind you that real strength, real readiness, real preparation comes from having the Word of God wrapped around you to your core tightly. Cinch it tight. Live the Word. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Invitation. Here it is. Lord, I need a renewed commitment to your truth. Do we, do we believe it down in the core? I mean, it starts with that, doesn't it? This is God's word. I'm going to commit myself to the truth of God's word. Maybe it's, Lord, I've compromised in my conscience regarding your word. Maybe, maybe it's uh, a thing where you need to bring it to the altar. Now, the altars, uh, the Lord's not limited to any space, right? The altar is right there where you are before the Lord. However, maybe you need to come forward. Get on your knees. Whatever that may be. Maybe you're lost. Can I give you truth? He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Do you all understand what that means? Do we believe this book? It means that if you're not in Christ, you don't have life. He that has the Son has life. Do you know the Lord? Have you trusted Christ? Have you trusted Jesus only for salvation? 
For by grace are we saved through faith. That not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, right, will be saved. Do you know the Lord? When Peter was preaching, they said, what, what must we do to be saved? What did Peter say? Repent and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. Father, help us as we go into this time of invitation. Help us as believers to have on the belt of truth by putting on the belt of truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood, crimson love, price of life's demand. Shameful sin placed on him, the hope of every man. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me. The blood of Jesus shed for me. What a sacrifice to save my life. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. Save 
remember what it took for revival in the Old Testament? It's Josiah finding the book, getting the book of the Word of God, and the people of God beginning to live what the Scripture says. Revival is a byproduct of an already prescribed agenda. There's one agenda for revival, obedience to God's Word. Obedience to God's Word is, is what, take, what it takes wouldn't you love to be in a spirit of revival? Well, you can be every single day if you're obeying the truth of God's Word. Every single day. Obeying the truth of God's Word. God send that kind of revival to our church. If my people who are called by my name, here we go, obedience to the Word, will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land and forgive their sin. We could stand some of the healing of the land, right? And I know that's context of, of Second Chronicles, but the fact remains... Uh, there's your prescribed agenda. Who needs revival? If my people who are called by my name, that's ownership. That's people who belong to God. That's where revival starts, with the people of God. What's it going to take? Humbleness, brokenness, seeking the Lord. That's what it's going to take. And that's all in obedience to the truth of God's word. God sent revival. That's what we need. Amen. Well, glad y'all were here today. Tonight, I will preach a second sermon on elders. I hope you'll be in attendance for that. And we're going to combine it with the Lord's Supper. Okay? So we invite you to come back tonight. All right? Amen. Brother David? God bless you.